My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to not be recording these for like a good month or so. That was nice. (laughs) And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you or anyone you know who might be listening to this want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, just wait until the end where we will explain them for you. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone who has ever worked on Burn Notice, this is ceasing more and more to be a bit, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, uh, connections to Burn Notice related people, and absolutely no criticism of any kind, unless you used to work on Burn Notice, at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod and that is burnnoticed with a D. Our Twitter, the closest thing on Twitter to an official Burn Noticed podcast. Uh, burn Next Noticed to Twitter. the official Burn Noticed Twitter which does exist. Which does exist. We were tagged <laughs> in a Twitter thread uh, by like an honest to goodness crazy person. Yeah, like, I I tried to read that thread and could not. It was... It was just a long thread about the awful things that the CIA have done. And don't get me wrong, the CIA have done legitimate awful things. We are not pro the CIA on this podcast. But, like, there was a lot of, like, accusations that the CIA had done things to him and people he knew personally. And, like, it was a lot. And then also at one point he just mentioned burn notice and then tagged us. Not even in connection to the CIA. It wasn't even like the CIA isn't like they show it on Burn Notice. He was literally just, and then I watched Burn Notice or something. It was really weird. Yeah, the here, let me let me let me find that for you. Let me break you off a piece of this incomprehensible tweet. And he tags um uh is it Diane Feinstein? Yeah, yeah he's, Diane he Feinstein. tags Senator Feinstein in all of the like most of the tweets, confusingly. Um but he, he, he tags, so at Senator Feinstein, think already covered olive oil and other ingredient in tailpipe of truck morning at CIA burned down my friend's condo building. December 09, near Jeremy's Cahill, who is an independent journalist apparently. Also on TV later, burn noticed pod, uh, asterisk, saw it summer 10, CC Daniel Jones U.S., who is an advanced democracy, former U.S. Senate person. And then the asterisk after uh, after at burn noticed pod was closest to an official Twitter winky big smiley face. Yeah, really weird. So that's how Uh, our break's going. (laughs) But this is, yeah, canonically, this is the first episode that we have been recording in the new year, though you have heard uh, at this point three episodes in the new year. Chris, how's your new year going? New year, new you? You know, new year, new me, very much so. Uh, yeah. I've had a lot of things happen to me that I will not talk about on the podcast. Fair enough. But like, suffice it to say, it definitely feels like a new year. Neat. Glad Neat. to hear I it. Know. I'm not coughing anymore. That's my news. Oh, that's good. Hey. I literally, uh, so my, my fiance and I went on like a many thousands of miles road trip from New York to Colorado to take most of our stuff out of this awful state of new york and literally 24 hours after i had left new york state i stopped coughing and i Here's did my not thing. cough again it's new york <laughs> i know i told you i'm I've i think it, it might be my apartment specifically because i can like kind of feel it coming back up in my chest as soon as i got back so thank god i'm leaving in another month no totally it is a thing Forever. That, like new york can the go to five hell. years that I lived in New York, I got a cough every winter. And it was, yep. I never had that cough when I didn't live in New York. I didn't have it when I lived in Texas. I don't have it now that I live in Los Angeles. Like, and it's not like yeah, it's a New York temperature thing. Because like, yeah, you've obviously lived in much colder places. Mm-hmm. It's true. I've also lived in hotter places. I think it's, some of it is the humidity. I think some of it is that I live in an old building. Um, and I think a lot of it is that I'm depressed. So anytime I am here in New York, I am not at my best in any way. Like the the change in my mental health, like usually it's so gradual that I don't realize I'm depressed until I'm like 
in it. But like leaving Colorado to come back to New York to pack up the rest of our things, it was fucking instant. <laughs> like night and day. Awful. I hate it here. I sure miss it. <laughs> do you really? I do a little bit. No, I watch things set in New York City. Like I watched all of How to with John Wilson. And like I was and I'm watching Mr. Robot and those are all set in New York and I'm just like, "Oh, hey, look at that." Scaffolding. I miss it. Yeah, I don't think you would miss New York if you were still currently living here. COVID oh, New no, York is not. certainly not the same. But oh, also, yeah, no. I think that like, you know, there there are things about the city that I will miss, but like at this rate all of my friends are gone, you know? Like, I no, have exactly. two friends that are still in the city at this rate. No, yeah, you might as well. Like, but hey, you'll move out here or you'll move to Colorado and you won't be able to just walk down to the corner store and get a circle of lettuce. <laughs> well, I already wasn't doing that. Uh, you want to talk about this week's episode? I guess. Nate's in it. Nate is in it. Nate is in it. He's at his most competent, but he's still Nate. And I think we all just need to acknowledge that. Uh, So this week we're talking about season four, episode 15. It's called Brotherly Love, which aired December 2nd, 2010, which is uh, pretty close to 10 years ago. And was written by Ben Watkins and directed by Terry Miller, who was uh, who has directed an episode of Burn Notice before. But I, I briefly looked him up to see if I remembered what else he had done. And he was notably the second AD on the original Die Hard and promoted to first AD on the second Die Hard. So. so he's like, he's second I, he's second AD on first Die Hard, first AD on second Die Hard. Yep. Was honestly, he on, I'm really happy and he was him. not on any other Die Hard. No, nah, as far as I could tell, he was, he, that was the end of his Die Hard career. You know, I also think fine. he moved up and started producing more. Um, mm. So he wasn't, he wasn't a, an under the line person for much longer. So that yeah, makes sense. good for Terry Miller. And good it's been Terry a while Miller. since Ben Wa- Ben Watkins has been the solo writer, I feel like. It has yeah, been. The, the last one was episode four of this season. And then before that. Yeah, it's been that, a long time. Episode 12 of season two. Wait, episode 12 of season two or season three? Or season three, sorry. Uh, yeah, he wrote two episodes in season three. He wrote one episode in season... No, he wrote two episodes in season two. So he gets about two epi- two episodes a season uh, mm-hmm. since he has joined the staff because he wasn't on season one, apparently. Um, but yeah, it's Ben Watkins, Baby Barrios. Baby uh, Barrios. Although, wanna... like, not this one. This was not a <laughs> no, Baby Barrios episode. This was definitely if not anything, a Baby Barrios If anything, this was a episode. Baby, like... Nick's. No, I would say this is a Baby, like, O'Neill. Hmm. Like this is That's like a strong statement. No, for this is who going what for this episode broad... was about right before we started recording. This episode is going for broad comedy. I did notice that it felt like it was being written for like th- there was just like filler scene, and then there was one line that like all of the actors like really emphasized because it was the fun line, and then there was just like nothing, 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 fun line, nothing, nothing, nothing. Like it was just it was very strange. Yeah. And it, it, it felt like he was so proud of those, like, handful of lines. And it's like, Ben, the whole episode is your responsibility. You can't just do it for one line. Do you want to know what IMDb describes this episode as? Um, sure, why not? Tell me. While Sam and Jesse travel to the Dominican Republic to get their hands on the list of people who burned Michael, Michael helps his brother Nate, ugh, who is back in Miami, to find a stolen car. Can I say, like, you were right at the beginning that uh, this is Nate at his most competent, which I think really drives home for me. And drives, I really realized it this home. episode. Yeah. That <laughs> the thing that makes Nate unbearable isn't that he's is a fuck Nate? up. No, sort of. It isn't that he's like a fuck up or anything. It's literally just this actor. This is not a good actor. Yeah. He sucks. He sucks the energy out of every moment Oh, I hate him. I hate he him so much. He is not a good actor, and, like, he's not giving anything in this episode. Mm-mm. Um, it's like all of his lines have been put through a filter to remove charisma from them. <laughs> Would you consider that the actor's fault or Ben Watkins's fault? No, I think it's the actor, because, again, we always hated Nate. And before, it felt like we could blame that on Nate being a bad character. Mm-hmm. 
but like here he's being broadly confident like competent and like a good person or whatever and it's just like how much of it do you think is the costuming because his costuming is outrageous it is offensive to look at it is a lot the fucking we'll get we'll get to it let's get get into the weeds so we can get to it all right (laughs) so the first thing that happens in this episode to my great delight is that michael petulantly eats a yogurt and watches sam pack for the dominican republic as the voiceover is also petulant about not getting to do the fun mission this week it's hard to play second fiddle when you're usually in charge is roughly what the original the initial voiceover is um and so then jesse comes over and sam and jesse prepare to skip town for their cool spy auction that they're gonna get to attend and michael is like well it sounds like you might need backup. What if you need, you know what? I could pack really quick. What if I came? And they're like, Michael, sit down. And then Michael is sad. And as they are leaving, they're like, and hey, you know, your, your brother's going to be in town. So why don't you go pick him up at the airport? Have some good family time. Ugh. Ugh. That, this is why, this is why Michael is sad. It's nothing to do about like not getting to go on vacation. I mean, it's a little bit having to do with that. Because like the thing about Michael Weston is he doesn't want to do work unless somebody else is doing it and he's not allowed to like he's yeah. very much like uh like an like an animal like a pet or like a child where yes. they never want to do the thing that they're supposed to do but if somebody else is doing something that ordinarily they wouldn't want to do if you told them to do it they're like but i want it's like the grass is always greener michael weston exactly so then we before we get to the end of the cold open though we are actually already in the dominican republic and jesse chats with auctioneer justin walsh whose name i wrote down because i thought it would be important it's not um this is the guy who's selling the list and jesse tries to like get information out of him and all justin walsh tells him is like fuck you i've done this before the list is constantly on the move you're not going to get it just show up to the auction you dumb idiot um and so jesse's like oh man i'm a dumb idiot and so he goes and gets a beer with sam and sam's like actually that gave us a lot of information because if he's saying that it's constantly in the move i'm gonna assume that he means motorcycles because this place has tons of motorcycle riders that would like not go you know like nobody would notice them so all we need to do is figure out who is constantly passing the list back and forth like figure out what motorcycle it is and yeah let's just get him off the motorcycle and um then he was and and jesse's still kind of like oh that seems like a lot of work and sam's like all we really need to do is uh make some buddies which is my specialty and then he he does a little grin and then it's the end of the cold open and i like that i like that sam's specialty is making buddies exactly he does make buddies this is very true. He is a people person. He really is. He is. I love that about say, him. Yeah, I, even when Jesse like has caught some of Michael's surliness. <laughs> yeah, well, J- Jesse is like Jesse burns hot, and then as soon as he is rebuffed even once, he's just like, "Oh man!" Like he, because again, we we've talked about this before. He takes everything so personally, and I just think that like. He, he's great in an emergency, but he's one of those people who's not good in like the day to day of your life, you know, like where you just have to like be together or like navigate like slightly more nuanced things or like have to work a little harder. It's like either it's an emergency and we just do what needs to be done or he is completely out of his depth. That's kind of the I mean, vibe that's I get true of basically every single person on this show, except for Sam, maybe. <laughs> That's true. I would say for Michael, it's more just like he doesn't want to do it. Like he knows the right thing to do in almost every situation. Like he's very observant, but he just aggressively doesn't want to do it. Like Jesse, I don't think understands. Like I think he just gets frustrated really quickly. I don't. I think Michael is like, I shouldn't have to do this. <laughs> I told you I loved you three years ago. That should be plenty. You know, <laughs> like he's he's so practical. That it's not, it, it can be hard sometimes to, you know, get him the next thing. Anyways, this is the end of the psychological segment. Um, because now we're post-cold open and ugh, Nate's here. So Michael picks Nate up from the airport, who's wearing some kind of atrocious Ed Hardy V-neck with like a giant goldfish or koi fish on it. And also some kind fish. of Asian lettering. Is it a koi fish? I don't know, but that seems like the most like Nate. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But it's, like, massive. And he wears it the whole fucking episode. Because the entire episode takes place over the course of, like, 36 hours at most. Um, And it's just awful. This is a grown man. This is a grown man who, spoiler alert, is about to be a father. (laughs) He's about to be a father. He's married in Vegas. He's about to be a daddy. He's about to be a burn daddy. 
Yeah, but he doesn't even fucking mention his wife until we learn that he that she is pregnant. Like we spend probably thirty four minutes of this forty two minute episode not even once mentioning his fucking wife. And I was keeping track because I like went back and checked, and it, the last time we saw him is he was moving away with his wife. And the fact that we don't even talk about her until it's like ah she has completed the procreation thing, like is just hilarious to me. <laughs> They didn't even bother to be like, yeah, how's Ruth? It's like, no, nobody gives a shit. Fuck Ruth. Oh my God. Um, I can't believe you remembered her name. I mean, you looked it up, but still. No, I I didn't remember her name, but at the very, very end, um, I think Madeline says it. Like, I wouldn't have remembered it, but either Madeline or Michael says, Uh, no, Madeline says, Madeline's like, Ruth's pregnant. And at first I I will admit, I was like, who? (laughs) But then, you know, context picked it up. Her? Um, Her? Her? Uh, anyways, so um, Nate is in town, apparently, because he's helping some buddies track down a stolen car because, you know, it's sort of his area of expertise. And then Michael, who is still sore from the shooting, apparently, even though it doesn't come up ever again, except for this one time when his brother hugs him, is irritable about this whole thing, understandably. He's like, oh, God, I'm going to have to do more work and it's going to have to be with Nate in his stupid fish shirt. And then they leave. And they go just, he's like, no, it's fine. It'll take like two seconds. It's no big deal. I'm sure it's fine. So uh, our brothers pull up to the garage to meet with Nate's friends who were also brothers. Hmm. I wonder if that's why it's called brotherly love to the commotion of the two men absolutely beating the shit out of each other. It's certainly not because they're in Philadelphia because they're not in Philadelphia. They're not in Philadelphia. They are in Miami. We know this because every like B-roll clip is aggressively Miami tourism board branded. Exactly. Although we're a little bit in the Dominican Republic. That's, I think it's still probably filmed in Miami. I think it's almost certainly still filmed <laughs> in Miami. Like, we, they go into a bar, when the Justin Walsh bar. It looks like fucking Carlitos. It really does. <laughs> like, it literally just looks like Carlitos. But they're like, we're in the Dominican Republic. Carlitos <laughs> is authentic, okay? Carlitos <laughs> is an authentic Dominican restaurant. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, Nate and Mike walk into the garage where the other two brothers, whose names are Jeff and Billy. Good names, Ben Watkins. Um, and they're beating the shit out of each other. And once everybody has settled down slightly, we learn what happened. So one of the brothers, a few months back, um, facing financial issues decided to get into business with a guy named Hector Rivera who is described as a drug kingpin to help infuse some cash into the operation and everything was fine you know basically he took one car a month to just shove every orifice full of drugs and you know use that to transport it uh, until this month when that shoved full of drugs car was stolen along with two other cars from their garage. And um, now the kingpin is coming to collect his bounty. And uh uh-oh, it's not there. (laughs) And they're like, well, shit. So Jeff and Billy are officially dubbed as Nate's clients after he declares, oh yeah, we're we're totally going to get this taken care of. We can do it in a day, no problem. Um, And after a bit of back and forth between uh, our brothers, the spy criminal ones, Michael agrees to call Fee in. So Fee comes to check out what happened. And according to her, it was a professional job because it included lasers and plasma rays and drugging the dogs out front who we never see again, which is just not acceptable because they were they look like very good dogs. They and like also it seemed dogs. like why did they bring two dogs to set for a single piece of B-roll that Fiona mentions once and they never come up again? <laughs> like Do what you was think the point that of that? Maybe it's somebody on set's dogs and they were like It's yeah, someone else, it. it's someone on set's dogs. I could see that. And that is very cute, but it does seem sort of like a waste of dogs. It is a waste of dogs. It's but I kind mean, of these a are waste someone's of dogs. dogs. These aren't professional dogs, so you can't get them to do a lot. Whose dogs do you think they are? I don't know. You know what? I'm going to say Ben Watkins. Hmm. I, he doesn't, he does not strike me as a two dogs kind of guy. Like, Jeffrey Donovan strikes me as a one-dog kind of guy. Like, I can see him being one of those actors who, like, has a dog he's obsessed with and brings no, that see, with him. No, see, I think I can see Jeffrey Donovan having a shit ton of dogs. Like, fucking, what's his name in Hannibal? <laughs> Hugh Dancy. Hugh Dancy in Hannibal, where it's just, like, Jeffrey Donovan living in a house in the, like, in the middle of nowhere with, like, 20 dogs. Interesting. 
But yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I get the vibe from Benny. Maybe Terry Miller. We don't really know a lot about him. Maybe they're Bruce Campbell's dogs. Ooh, I'd like that. That would be cute. That is cute. Anyways. Um, so they're, <laughs> because the dogs were drugged and also there was some plasma stuff used, uh, Fee knows that this was a professional gang and there's only a handful of people who could have pulled this off, but, um, to narrow it down, they're going to need to call on an old friend whose name is Tony Soto, who apparently was a guy they worked with a while back, forcing Michael to redon an alias. But I don't remember fucking Tony Soto at all. And then we see him and I still have no fucking idea who he is. I don't remember him either. He was from an episode apparently in season two. Like I looked it up. In season two? In season two. I looked it up. I remembered the episode What Do you remember existing. the episode? Um... Not off the top of my head, but I can find out really quickly if you want to vamp. Uh, yeah, I am curious. Because, yeah, I don't fucking um, remember this dude at all. But, yeah, but Michael's alias is named Johnny. And he looks like a dirtbag. So I was like, well, I don't remember Tony Soto. But uh, this seems like it's going to be fun. So I'll allow it. The episode's called Hotspot. While Fee tries to help Michael by getting the identity of the man who may have tried to blow him up, Michael tries to help a football player who is in trouble with a gang of car thieves. You remember? Oh, is this the Michael B. Jordan episode? I think... It might have been the Michael B. It Jordan is. episode. It is. It's yeah. a Michael B. Jordan episode. That's why we don't remember it, because we were too busy going, hey, look, it's Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> Michael yeah, B. Jordan doesn't come back. <laughs> That's a long game in terms of like continuity-wise. Like Going back to season two for continuity. I think they wanted to do like an uh, old villain comes back, and like this was who they could get. I wonder if it's just like... They they had decided they wanted to do another car thing, and they were like, Maybe. "Well, we've got like a car guy from a previous season. I wonder if we could get him back." Yeah, that's true. I mean, they have a lot of car, guys. and like ultimately, this guy's just in it for like a scene or two. Yeah, it's it's very strange. They all every time somebody comes back on burn notice, who is just like this, it's the second time they've come back, and then that's it. It's always so random. It's so it's weird. Like, is it? It's like I don't. Is that Adam Scott again? Why? No one liked him. Maybe. What if they're his dogs? <laughs> I could see that, actually. That guy looks like he's got a couple of big dogs with him all the time. And he was like, hey, they were like, actually, no, we need two dogs for a scene because we want to have dogs in a scene. He's like, I'll do it, but I have to come back. <laughs> it's me and yeah. my dogs or nothing. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so as Michael is getting back dressed up as Johnny, who's like kind of a slick backed, pinky ringed up gangster cool guy, uh, and Nate is getting you know, dressed up to look like- it's a really generic Michael Weston alias. Yeah, pretty generic, yeah. And um, he, Nate is basically dressing up like a match set, you know, like the dogs from earlier. And there's a very funny moment where, like, they're both, like, looking at themselves in the mirror, like, getting all tough guyed up. And then Madeline wanders in in just, like, a bathing suit and, like, a thing you wear over a bathing suit with her big old sunglasses. And it's like, what the fuck are you two doing? Um, and then she's upset that it seems like it's probably going to be dangerous because anytime Michael gets dressed up, it's dangerous. But then uh, as a button to the scene, she's like well if my boys are gonna get dressed up then i gotta take a picture and she takes a picture of them in their little outfits and i thought that was funny and i very much hope that somewhere in the house there is a like lovingly made scrapbook of all of michael's aliases oh my god i would love that so much like what i want that to exist so bad well, because here's the thing. In the spy voiceover, um, it's like, if you need to remember an alias, you can't just remember the name. Like, you've got to remember the mannerisms and, like, the pinky ring you wear and all this kind of crap. And so, presumably, they have the information, like, kept somewhere, right? Like, Michael Weston probably keeps meticulous notes about the various, like, aliases oh. he's got going on. So what I'm thinking is either Fiona or Madeline or both of them have taken this information and just presented it in a more fun way. Like, that's my headcanon. I know. This is definitely 100% true. This is canon. Yes. Like, no. He has pictures of, I think he has selfies of every alias he's ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and somebody has put them on very colorful uh, sheets of scrapbooking paper with, like, those yeah. little puffy stickers that you get in sets. Right. I remember watching this scene, and, like, a lot of scenes this episode. Like like I said, we took a break. I have not yeah, watched we Burn we took Notice about, in a while. Yeah, it's, like been, it's almost been two months. 
I spent a lot of time watching other television shows. Me too. What did you watch? Um, I'll, a lot. I was going to hold off on what television, specific television shows that I've watched until next week. So we had an intro. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the important thing is that I've watched a lot of much more well-written television shows in the time. And so I, when I got back to this episode and I was watching this episode and I was like, is this a particularly broad episode of Burn Notice or have I just gotten used to better television? I think it is a particularly broad episode of Burn Notice, but like not broad in like a it's it's broad in a way where so I'm starting to see where you got like baby Craig O'Neill, like Ben Watkins is. But it, it feels almost like a child who like like a baby that can't speak yet, but like picks up its parents like tone of voice. Right, yeah. You or know, like, like maybe it's, more like, baby. Baby Jason Tracy than Baby Craig O'Neill. He's like, he's speaking gibberish, but like enunciating his gibberish the way that he's heard adults enunciate it. That's what yeah. it kind of feels like. That makes sense. You know, it's like, like cause we're it, doing. I'm doing a comedy episode. Exactly, but Look it's not me. a comedy episode. <laughs> like there's some bigger jokes, but that does not make a comedy episode. Like there's there's no through line of fun, you know. Like there's no whimsy. It's just no, like there's not a lot of all whimsy. of a sudden there's a big joke. <laughs> it's like yeah. okay, neat. Thanks for that, bud. Uh, although we're about to get to my favorite sort of joke, so uh, let's talk about Tony Soto really quickly. So we roll up to Tony Soto, um, and Johnny, as M- the Michael Wesson alias, is like, hey, I need help tracking down this one thing. And Tony's like, cool, 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 I'll get that info for you. But also, I have some work for you if you want it. And Johnny's like, no. And Tony's like, well, all right, well, here's the address you need for where the chop shop is that I think has your stolen cars. Um, and before you leave, just make sure you torch it. And we'll be all good. And importantly, the chop shop that the stolen cars are at currently is owned by a guy named Buckwild. His name his, is Buckwild. Yeah. His name is like, when we say his name is Buckwild, we don't mean that his name is crazy. His name is literally Buckwild. It's just, I got so excited and then so immediately let down, but we'll get to that. Um, well, get, yeah, but just the idea that there's a guy named Buck. I, I like um, to think that his name is, like, Buck Wild. <laughs> I think his first name is Buck, his last name is Wild. Yep. Buck J. Wild. It's Can I say, just so good. When we When I was watching this scene and Tony Soto was like, yeah, sure, I'll give you this thing, but you have to do this favor for me. I briefly thought that we were going to get an episode where the premise was that he kept going to different bad guys. And oh, like, and having to like remember his alias. Like, like he, yeah, keep going to different bad guys, and each bad guy would be like, "I'll help you, but I need you to do this." <laughs> and so, like, it would be like one of those situations, like where I got to get this thing so I can get back to this person, so I can get this thing. You know, so I like that, and I raise you like this because there are so many kingpins in Miami that he's met under various aliases. Like, I would have loved a be- basically like the opening of Twenty Seven Dresses. But as a burn notice episode, have you seen 27 Dresses? You know, I haven't seen 27 Dresses. It's very cute. You should watch 27 Dresses. I should watch Um, it, yeah. But like the beginning of 27 Dresses, this is relevant, I swear, where we are introduced to... Where, where we are uh, introduced to our many-dressed protagonist, Catherine Heigl. Um, She is a bridesmaid at two separate weddings and has to and like apparently hasn't told either of them like I think we learn later that like they're both really good friends of hers and they picked the same weekend so what was she to do and she was a big part of each wedding so why not but obviously each different wedding because like apparently all of her friends are extremely extra have totally different themes so it's not just like she can kind of ride a cab back and forth like she is like in the wedding party for both of these weddings so she has a different bridesmaids gown for each wedding and like the beginning of of 27 dresses is her making her way back and forth across town having to like change in the back of the cab and the deal she's made with the cab driver was like i'll give you 500 bucks for the night but i'm deducting 20 dollars every time you cop a peek 
<laughs> and so every time he's like, wait, what are you doing back there? She's like, 480, buddy. <laughs> I can do this all night. And so it's just sort of like this fun madcap, but like her having to go back and forth in different like uh, outfits. And at one point, like, you know, a stray piece from the other costume is on her and the cab driver has to be like, hey, don't forget to take that thing off. And so it's just like her... That, that's what I'm imagining, but for a Burn Notice episode where Michael Lesson has to go back and so forth much. between Homer and between Johnny and between, um, oh, what was that guy's name? There, there, he, he had like a Steve Remington, you know, and like having or to go Mr. back and forth Snaps. between them. Exactly. Or Mr. Snaps. This is what I'm saying is him having to like embody all of these different guys <laughs> over the course I of the same episode. I would be so into that. And keep it straight. And then at one point, like, several of the other bad guys converge. And he has to figure out, like, a, a an, an alias that will theoretically work for all of them. <laughs> and it's like, oh, uh, I just think that'd be fun. I think that would be so fun. Like, I love the version of Burn Notice that we have in our heads. <laughs> it's such a shame because at this rate, I feel like I could write a really fucking solid burn notice spec that oh, no one will ever read could. because what's the point? Cause it's, it's been off the air for like nearly a decade. Ugh. God, what if like at the end of the podcast, we wrote a burn notice spec and did a live reading with our friends. Or maybe we did a live reading. Noticed? What if we like did it and then we gave it to Matt Nix <laughs> <laughs> and like a DVD of all of the, the podcast. it's like hey read this matt nix and then hire us for whatever boring fox show you're doing next exactly no then maybe we don't give him a dvd of the podcast (laughs) we just give him this back uh anyways so we know we got to get to buck wild buck wild's got the cars uh unfortunately this little reunion that tony soto and johnny have um bonding over the name buck wild uh it takes a little too long and hector rivera though he was supposed to be stalled for a little bit is at the garage with the other brothers demanding the very same car that they're after right now so michael and nate stay in character as they drive up to try and like calm everything down and hector kind of seems to like johnny's style you know he, he likes a tough guy who's a little bit rude um and so he's like fine you have 24 hours to find my car uh but you're taking my boy caleb with me and i'm taking one of the brothers so one of the brothers is now kept as collateral and caleb his second in command is going to go along for the journey with nate and um and michael i don't think nate has an alias name i think he's just sort of there and vaguely mimicking yeah yeah he's just sort of vaguely mimicking michael's like sort of characterization i think it's michael and the fish <laughs> michael. well he's not wearing the fish shirt there but i do like no, the idea that's that he's chosen the, the fish. fish oh yeah for sure yeah johnny and the fish is definitely this johnny and the fish name. yes <laughs> oh my god johnny and the fish <laughs> We should start. Here's here's the thing. The elaborate thing we should do is, in addition to writing the spec script that we're going to send to Matt Nix, we should also start a cover band called Johnny and the Fish, where we do covers of all of the songs that have been uh, that have appeared on Burn Notice. I think that would be great. <laughs> and that's the DVD we give him. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's we like only mood have good music ideas right now. <laughs> new year, new us, baby. Uh, <laughs> what happens next? First, we got to go back to the Dominican Republic very briefly because Sam and Jesse are throwing around, frankly, a surprising amount of cash that I can't imagine where they've gotten it to recruit civilians to keep an eye out for motorcycles. So they're they're doing the thing that uh, Sherlock Holmes does, which is recruit everyone in the city to be your eyes. Um, yeah, and then that's it for the, that scene. Yeah, the baker street irregulars of the dominican republic (laughs) yeah exactly and then we're back to miami so yeah all of the dominican republic scenes after the first one are like 30 seconds long just to let us know like yep and the other boys are making progress good for them back in miami after a quick scene of madeline once again being mad uh that nate's potentially in danger again they take their first pass at storming buck wild's chop shop it goes well fiona looks great in a suit but unfortunately buck wild isn't there and is the one with the drug car so they light the place on fire as they promise to tony soto and head out 
uh, leaving the other two stolen cars? Like, are the other two cars just fine to be gone? Like, they couldn't have driven those cars away to give them back to the brothers who are trying to run a legitimate business? Three yeah, cars were like, stolen from the brother's garage. <laughs> Two of them are literally like, are, in this garage. So they're like burned down now, right? Yeah, yeah, because there was like an explosion. Right, yeah. There was like a cool what guy walking away from the explosion scene. Yeah, I was like, as soon as Fiona started like kind of pouring oil, like gasoline and stuff, I was like, oh, haha, very, you know, scary and whatnot. And I assumed that I'd see them like driving the cars out as the explosion happened behind them. But no, the cars are still in there. So I guess... They're, they have insurance for the two legit cars. It's just the third one with all the drugs that, like, forms yeah. the problem. It seems wild to me, though. They stole three cars. <laughs> Why say that it, they stole yeah, three cars? Yeah, it seems really weird. Like, they could have just said they stole one car, and it's the one with the drugs in it. And they get to the chop shop, and they say, I don't see the car. Where's Buckwild? Oh, he's got the car. I mean, I guess they for. needed proof that, like, the, the chop shop had the cars. I mean, maybe we could have seen, like, the... Um, I don't know. The original license I don't know why on, there's like, three the... cars. <laughs> yeah. It, well, there, now there's not. There's only one at this point. So, yeah. The other two stolen cars are fucking toast. Uh, so, now they head to Buckwild's house. But as Fiona and Michael are kind of carefully going room to room, like, checking to see if anybody's there, Caleb, their Hector babysitter, just, like, heads straight to the back of the house. And all of a sudden, a shot rings out. And they see, uh, they, they rush to the back and they see the Buckwild has been fucking absolutely destroyed and i am devastated that we get no dialogue from buck wild no dialogue from mr wild mr wild is dead on the floor the first time we see him and it is such a waste it is such such a waste waste. like he he looks like he would have been a character mr wild is his father call him buck Um, yeah, so I'm very sad that Buckwild is dead, and then, like, it very clearly becomes obvious that, or very quickly becomes obvious that Caleb shot this man in cold blood. Yeah. Buckwild's, like, gun was on. He's not even, like, trying on. to hide it like, that well. He's, like... No, he's not. Like, the safety was on <laughs> Mr. Buckwild, as we know, did not make any kind of threatening sounds. Otherwise, we would have heard and been delighted to hear the bird song of Buckwild. Um, so yeah, so definitely Caleb is in on this. Uh, now they got to be able to prove it though. So, uh, we do another quick check-in on Sam and Jesse. They've made good progress on finding their list. They've got a whole murder wall in their hotel room. Um, but now that they've figured out, you know, who the guys are with the list and where is the best place to grab them, well, they have also determined that this is more than a two-man job, I guess. Um, and so... They're like, well, yeah, I think these, we'll figure I think it these out. scenes are short because if they're any longer, we'll figure out that it's not actually in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I did like the scene. Jesse's fun in this scene, though. He's really excited that he figured it out. Yeah, he's very excited. He and he's like, Sam, why aren't you excited with me? Come on. Join the party. Sam and Jesse and their murder wall are doing fine, but they have a big, it's a bigger job than the two of them can handle on their own. So uh, they got to just kind of hold tight and hope they figure something else out or hold tight and hope that Michael and Fiona can get down there real quick. So then we do an obligatory client meeting with the garage brother who wasn't taken as collateral, um, who's like, we got to storm in and rat out Caleb. Like, my brother's life is on the line. And they're like, we have to have proof. Otherwise, Hector Rivera, the drug team kingpin, will not believe us. Um, And so then that's what they're going to go do. They're going to go get proof that Caleb did the bad thing. So, yeah. So there's also this whole, like, underplot about, like, why the brothers got into bed with Hector Rivera in the first place and who knew what and like a sickness in the family and all this stuff. But I don't give a shit. Like it's client yeah, no, it drama matter. nonsense. The, it does not client, matter. Like he's acting really hard. He really is scene. because for some reason we felt that like we needed to give them more than just, Hey, we had money problems. We got into bed with a criminal. Now that butt is in the ass and we are upset about it. Like that could have been an, an enough. Like there's a lot going on in this episode. That's all we needed, Ben Watkins. But no, there's this whole, it, it's about brotherly love and about brothers about learning brotherly to respect each other's choices. Each other. yeah. yeah. Brothers gotta love. Um, so anyways, obligatory client meeting over. Now we are scoping out Hector's house. Hector's compound, something. I don't know. I watched the scene twice because, like, nothing was going into my brain. But I did learn that it's not Hector Rivera's complex that they're outside of. They're at Caleb's compound to try and find a way in to get proof of Caleb's misdeeds. But then Michael, a.k.a. Johnny, is called in for a meeting with Hector and Caleb. 
and the brother that's been held as collateral. So he leaves Fee and Nate behind to figure out how to get that proof and heads out to do the talkie talk. At the talkie talk, Caleb claims very boastfully to have found the car. So Michael tips off Nate and Fee to hurry and luckily Fee figures out a trick with the printer to get what they need and they peel out and get to the storage place under the Garage Brothers name that Caleb found to get the car which Nate hotwire so they can get away before the rest of the party gets there. So basically what has happened is that Caleb has is definitely in on it. He figured out a storage facility under one of the brothers' names that he's trying to frame and has stashed the car there to be discovered. Um, and Fee and Nate luckily get there a little bit ahead of time. And then Nate hotwires the car because he's like, there, there's, <laughs> I'm, I'm not good at a lot of things, but the one thing I'm better at than my brother is hotwiring a car. So they hotwire a car and get the fuck out so that by the yeah, time... Yeah, like the idea is that, like, Caleb is framing the brothers. Mm-hmm. Like, the brothers own the storage facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But once everybody gets there, the storage facility is empty, and Caleb is very confused. And Michael's like, well, I still have, like, eight hours to find the car, so thanks for nothing, idiot. I'm gonna get back on that. So he leaves. Unfortunately, they uh, get back to the loft where they have kind of started to take apart this car that they've managed to get back. And a thorough examination of it shows that the drugs are long gone. It was like a million dollars worth of heroin or something. So now it's time for a new plan. The brothers are going to fully dismantle and then rebuild the car in Caleb's place like a senior prank. Uh, But they've only got a narrow window, so they got to hurry. Then uh, right before they leave for this new little thingamajig madeline comes over to bitch at michael again to be careful and michael's like you know you have two sons i yeah nate's in trouble but also this is his fault and i what if i'm in danger and madeline's like um only one of you is about to be a father and that's when we discover oh right he has a wife and also now a new baby almost a new baby um, a, a new baby a new baby nate a new baby nate god help us all um, oh my god yeah that's why Madeline, Madeline's been up Michael's ass all episode even though she's always up Michael's ass when Nate is around anytime Nate is in town and is caught up in some bullshit Madeline's like Michael you better keep him safe you are the big brother Michael you better keep him safe so I don't know why we felt the need to have him be a almost father this time because this is not new behavior from anyone but fine I guess Nate is procreating for the downfall of all mankind of course so um They get to the compound. Michael and Nate get started rebuilding this car. Because basically the the reason they have to rebuild it is that, like, there is a small area, like, behind a greenhouse at Caleb's house where they could, like, stash the car out of sight of him and, like, the main security measures. But, like, it would be too loud to just drive up there. So they have concocted some scheme. They can't drive in without being caught either. Yeah. Like, there's one driveway in, one driveway out. Like, they can't just drive a car into Caleb's place without Caleb's goons being like, hey, that's that car. Yeah, but they can get a giant truck with all these car parts in it and take that and rebuild that in the driveway. So that's what they're doing. And they're doing it real quiet-like, so nobody hears what's happening. Um, And the the reason that I said that this seems very senior prankish is because this was roughly the senior prank that some seniors did when I was like a sophomore in in high school. It's a classic senior prank. It's a classic. Yeah, they did it around the the flagpole. They they soldered uh, and rebuilt a car around the flagpole in the front of the school. Whose car was it? I have no idea. No idea where they fucking it, got it. It's 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 got to be someone's car. It can't just be a car. It's got to be I like mean, the principal's car. Well, I don't think ours was. I think it was just like a random junkyard car because you know. Oh I, well, that's like less fun. Like the principal has to come out, see the car on the flagpole, and like pull his hair out and go like, boys. <laughs> yeah, yes, and, like, and then the boys like give each other high fives and then kick back because no one can prove it um yeah anyways so they're they're rebuilding the car when they realize they only have an hour left and michael is needed to be johnny and not sweaty and gross uh so michael heads out and leaves nate and fee to like finish building up the car then michael heads to fetch hector and is like hey I know where the car is. Let's go to Caleb's house. And Hector's like, no. And Michael's like, yes. Um, and through some, some and strong like, arming. Yes. 
<laughs> after Michael points a gun at him. Basically, like, one thing I will say for the Johnny alias is that, like, he's very just quick to violence. Like, he doesn't really discuss things. He's either like, this is stupid, I'm leaving, or he just takes your gun and points a gun this at you. This is and stupid, like, you're leaving. Exactly. And I like that about him. You know, it does It does feel distinct, as it were. Um, and I And I like that he doesn't mind, like, no one liking him like his job as Johnny is not to be liked and it's not even to be feared it's just like to be trusted because this guy yeah. has he he does not mince words he does not pretend he is anything he is else you know he's Johnny and he's, he's got a Johnny. job to do yeah so anyway so the everybody gets there and there's like some tight editing oh no will they manage to build the car in time they do of course they do Caleb is taken away the brother is freed uh, everything is fine. Then we have a tiny little, like, final meetup with the clients where the two brothers go on a double date together at sunset. It's very sweet. The brothers who were in charge of the garage leave, and they're not going to do any more criminal stuff. And then Michael and Nate talk, and Nate's like, I'm scared of being a dad. And Michael's like, for some reason, if the kid's anything like you, I'll be a proud uncle, which is such a lie. God help him if he turns out like Nate. Um, and then Nate leaves. And then Michael gets a call from Sam and is like, hell yeah, I finally get to go to the Dominican Republic. So then we have a very short scene in the Dominican Republic, which is essentially just them getting the drop on motorcycle guy through a series of very fun spy things to like corner him in an alleyway. Um, and also like Michael gets to, you know, shoot up a, a wall by being counterweighted and it's very exciting and burn noticey. Yeah, and it's very fun. Yeah. It's like a three minute scene because we have like Good four job, minutes of the episode left, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was a yeah. very fun scene. Traffic jams, excitement, shooting bullets into a cloud of smoke and dust. Um, and then at the end of it, we still have time to like go back to Michael's loft and look over the lists that we just stole. Um, and the episode ends on a series of increasingly close up shots of Michael Weston as it's everyone around so him overdone. asks. <laughs> everyone around him is like, Michael, what do we want to do? Do we want to like hunt them down one on one? That's Fee's suggestion. Do we want to give it to the government? That's Sam's suggestion. Come on, Michael. Only you can decide. What do we want to do with this list of people who have destroyed your life? And then they we just ask him get... like three times. Yeah, and then we keeps... get... The thing is that like, it keeps pushing in on him. It's so funny. While they ask him. And the th and like, they're like, what do you want to do, Michael? And like, and then it keeps pushing in. And then Fee goes, Michael? And I keep thinking, there, good, now cut. And then it keeps pushing in. And then it like fades. It like fades into an even closer push in. It's just a thing that Bernadette does sometimes where it fades like one like push in to another push in. And it fades into another push in. And then it's and then Fiona says, "What do you want to do?" And it's like we didn't need that. You could have ended on Michael. <laughs> yep, but no, we had to get super close up on his eyes, like he was about to go into like a split screen like anime fight. Right. I would love to see Michael Weston in a split screen anime fight. Side note: I do want to see burned out as the anime. <laughs> Anyways, that's the end of the episode. Um, there are basically no spy tips this episode. So there's three that I thought were maybe okay. But like straight up, before we even get to the spy tips, there's not enough. There's just no, absolutely there's not fundamentally it's not enough. Spy tips. It's already lost. But um, I'll even, I, I want to see if you think any of these are good. There's like one that I'll argue for and two that I am willing to say, fuck you, Ben Watkins on. Gotcha. So the first one that I think might be okay. You don't always have to rely on trained operatives to gather intelligence. A problem that seems impossible, like finding a single, motor single motorcycle circling in a crowded city, becomes much easier when you can hire a hundred so people to sit on street It's so hard to find a single motorcycle these days in the city. <laughs> uh, basically, this is the um, what? What did you call them? The the Sherlock, the Baker Street. Oh, the boys. Baker Street regulars or the Baker Street regulars. I forget what they're called. But yes. Yeah. Basically, it's, hey, hire randos for a little bit of money to keep out a lookout for one specific thing and then check them against each other. I like this because I liked this yeah. scene. I thought it was good. I thought it was a good scene, too. Like, yeah, all of the Dominican Republic scenes were good. They were just so short and so randomly interspersed. I was like, I wish we were watching this episode. I don't give a fuck about the car thief thing. I was so hoping that the Nate shit would be the B plot. 
I know. I was also hoping that we would get like an auction scene. I love spy auction Oh my God, scenes. yes. Same. They're so fun auctions. and everyone has to be so dressed much. up and like they all have to be really like fancy and important and all the girls get to wear really sexy clothes but then they definitely yes. have guns hidden all over them. Oh, yeah, oh my so God. Fun. I am so... I feel like this is not the first time that Bernettis has let us down with an auction. <laughs> they're always like, I feel like they're always promising an auction. Yeah, an auction's more of like a heist thing. I've been rewatching yes. Leverage. I couldn't wait. I was like going to try to wait for you for the end of Burn Notice, but I was like, I'll watch it again with her. I can, I can do this again. Yeah, no, I love a good auction. Auctions yeah, are the you're... opposite of prisons. <laughs> you're so free and rich and fancy. Um, but yeah, okay, so cool. Baker Street boys tip, good. The um, fabulous Baker boys. Yeah, the fabulous Baker boys. All right, number two. This is mostly nothing. Sometimes the best way to get past security is to make it seem riskier to keep you out than it is to let you in. The average security guard won't risk angering somebody important. In, a, in an illegal chop shop, the lady in the $90,000 stolen car is a VIP. Uh, I could see this being a thing. Yeah, I, I wish... There had been a more interesting example of sometimes the best way to get past security is to make it yeah. riskier to keep you out than let you in. Like, I like that. Like, I I like... And I think that the the stolen car is good. And, like, at the point at which you know all the names of, like, the high-up people and you can be like, hey, I have brought you a thing that your boss, whose name is this and whose security social security number is this, would really like. Um, and, it, and it is flashy enough that, like, you wouldn't want to keep it on the street kind of stuff. Like, I, I, I yeah. thought that was smart. It's limited in usefulness but it is practical and theoretically you might find a new way to interpret that sometime down the road you know i would i'll allow sometimes it's like sometimes it's just riskier to keep this giant wooden horse outside you've got to bring it (laughs) exactly um wow i didn't even think of it but like that but yes it's exactly a trojan horse um but will you allow tip number two to stand I will allow tip number two to stand. Cool. All right. Tip number three, which is the only one that I actually thought was like definitely useful is any security conscious person knows how to protect their computer and shred their documents. They tend to forget though about the step between the computer and the hard copy. Most printers store documents in their memory. It's a convenient way for users to print another copy and a convenient way for spies to steal information. I liked this too. This seemed cool. Yeah, and, and I, I like that he acknowledges, like, even careful people remember these two things. But there's a third thing. Um, and I've a definitely... third thing. I've definitely used this before, back when I used to work in an office, to, like, see what the person in front of me was printing. Because uh, I'm nosy. No wonder you need to know all these spy tips. I do, because I am so nosy, and I will not be satisfied until I know everything. It's extremely detrimental to my mental health and why I love Twitter. So um, that, that's only three practical spy I mean, spy loving tips. Twitter in itself is detrimental to your mental health. Oh, yeah. No, it's like it, it's a it's a quality of a sociopath, to be sure. Um, so there are exactly three practical spy tips, far from five. So it already fails that. I will definitely say, though, I think there was spycraft over violence. In terms of ranking this episode. A lot of fun spycraft stuff. They rebuilt a car. Exactly. It is like, it's definitely high school senior (laughs) spycraft. But in this case, it wasn't the fact that they'd done this as high school seniors. It was the fact that one time as a punishment, I think it sounds like, their dad made them fully rebuild the charger. And so like, it was a sort of nice little like acknowledgement of their shared history that wasn't always bad. You know? It was like, Nate and Michael had a fraught relationship for a lot of reasons, but I think a decent amount of it stems from the abuse in their childhood. And it was sort of nice to see them like have one thing that both of them know really well, they're really good at, and maybe didn't come from a good place in their childhood, but has served them both well in their adulthood. And I like that little detail. Yeah, no, I like that too. thought it was nice. Um, I wish Nate was dead though. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Was there a distinct alias? Uh, His name's Johnny. I mean, he's got a costume. He's got a voice. He's got a question. attitude. Like, when we originally, like, came up with these rules, one of the things was that, like, 
Is it a distinct new alias or returning alias? Have we returned to an alias before? I was actually going to ask you the same question. I don't think we have. I think think maybe there's been like a hint of one maybe or he's used a name. But like, yeah, I don't think we've had a full return alias before. And that was that was fun to see. It was fun Again, to see. And I like the idea there was of more it. of that. And you were right that, like, he feels like a guy. Like, there's a little bit to Johnny that, like, I kept saying that he was generic. But, like, also, like, you're right. He has got, like, some specifics to him. And I did mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll give it. Yeah, it was an alias. It was a dis- distinct or revisited alias. Um, okay, are Fee and Sam used well? Fee does get to destroy something. I took several screenshots of the scene where she's wearing a suit and excitedly holding a match over like a pool of gasoline. This is um, true. She doesn't really get a lot to do though, just because like as per usual, anytime there is like another main sort of character, like a like a Nate or um, you know somebody else like either Sam or Fee has to kind of get pushed to the side and Fee I mean Fee also got to use her her thievery expertise in the beginning like she's there but it she definitely she, does seem like a side character she does seem like a side character I mean yeah everyone who's I don't know even though like Jesse and Jesse and Sam both have their own plot but still feel like side characters yeah but Fee did get to blow something up and that was the original rule and she seemed like she was having fun. She seemed like she was having fun. Meanwhile, Sam. Sam has buddies. Sam does have buddies. It was very cute. Um, okay, yeah, I, I give it to Yeah, I give it to both of them. Because yeah, Sam's whole thing being that he gets he makes buddies is like very peak Bruce Campbell to me. That's very true. Um, so the question becomes, is Jesse interesting enough to be a main character? I think so. Because I think that his sort of immediate like well i give up (laughs) when he doesn't get enough information out of justin or whatever the hell his name is at the bar and his excitement that he put together yeah he's he's like he's like a puppy he's like he's hot or cold he's like a puppy like he's hot or cold mike fee's all hot sam's all cold and michael is true neutral (laughs) and like sort of that is michael weston is true neutral (laughs) he is beige to the bone Actually, no, um, he's actually no, because he's very lawful. Okay, fine. He's he's lawful I don't know. neutral. We'll figure it out. We will figure it out. I don't think he's wait. Alignment. You think Michael, you think Michael Weston is lawful? Michael Weston is constantly breaking the rules. Even when he was That's in the CIA, true. he breaks the rules. Like just because it was government sanctioned chaos doesn't mean that it's not still chaos. I don't know. He's very aligned with the law. Well, you know, we will talk no. about it. I think like, I think not, he's true. Have... I think Michael Weston is true neutral. I do. We will talk about it on a later episode, perhaps a bonus. Yeah, perhaps a bonus episode. Um, oh, and for those who've been asking, we're definitely going to watch the Fall of Sam Axe. That'll be like the first bonus episode. So, oh yeah, no, worry. of course we're going to watch Fall of Sam Axe. When was we that? We got that coming. Um, well, it, it takes place at the end of this season. It's in Hulu. Like if you're watching on Hulu, it's the last episode allegedly. Oh, of interesting. The season. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So we're going to do that. No, yeah, yeah, we're definitely I, going to watch it. Yes. I think Jesse falling into place as a distinct member of the team consider makes him interesting enough to be a main character because eventually we know that we're gonna have to evolve this to be a like combo yeah you know so i think that's interesting about this episode was that like jesse's not mad anymore yeah i did notice that that was something that i was kind of confused by because like he was so mad that he fucking shot michael like two episodes ago and i was like oh no worries mikey yeah exactly they're all like chummy chummy now and it was like a little weird apparently he shot all of his anger into michael's chest and now he doesn't have anger anymore because he did that one shoot Jesse doesn't seem like a long-term grudge holder. Like Jesse very much again is like very hot and cold like he's he he lashes out and then he's done you know, because he takes he's everything hot. so personally. He's hot, then he's cold. He's less. He's yes, then he's no. He's in, then he's, he's out. Wrong. He's wrong when you're right. Mm-hmm. He's black and he's white. But yeah, I, I I think it's it's enough. And even if it wasn't, we still had three uh, out of five because we had a full yeah. salmon fee. So yeah, this is officially a great episode of Burn Notice. Yeah. Um, was it, was it a also- great episode of television? absolutely not no it was an episode of television at best yes i had some fun with it in some places 
Yeah, I had some fun with it in some places but, too. Like, yeah, it's not when, like when when the baby rabble got close enough to Jason Tracy uh, that I like I, I caught a familiar whiff. I was like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, and then it went away just as quickly. It yeah. was it's uneven, but, no. but like I feel like most it's of Ben Watkins uneven. episodes also, are uneven. Like, the thing that's at the center is not good. The the core of Nate. Yeah, well, the core of Nate, but also just like the thematic brotherly love through line of like very different brothers finding common ground it just felt so yeah. shallow it did feel kind of shallow like nate's not absolutely weird, fucking up everything yeah exactly like it's trying to Wait, be what? everything and it ends up being nothing yeah no i don't care for that at all me either but again it was still fun you know it's, it's still fun. better than a lot of burn notice has been so yes so episode of With- television episode of television but a great episode of burn notice and with that uh i would like to say thank you once again as always to vincent el for our theme music you can find more of vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com and until next week bye it's good to be back (laughs) 